Welcome back to Hire Everybody, the podcast full of wicked stories from the job market and experts showing us how to succeed in it. Because we've all been there, haven't we? It's time to get unstuck. It's time to make some change. It's time to lead. It's time to hit that funky beat, Nikki Simmons. Get it. excited me too we love feeling oh they are the best it doesn't always feel like that does it remember in may when i stubbed my toe and i was inconsolable well your feelings are valid obviously but a stubbed toe really well i may have overreacted slightly maybe a little but it's fine because enough about your toe The important thing to remember is that while not always comfortable, feelings are a brilliant compass to assess whether your career is moving into the right direction. And they can be paradoxical and worth the self-study. We can feel deeply unhappy, yet decide to stick with a job because we know the struggle is temporary and worth it. We can run away from an opportunity because it scares us and our central nervous system likes to avoid fear. Understanding our emotional reactions to the push and pull of our lives and career journeys can help us thrive. Which is why today on the show we have the exceptional Hiba Samawi, independent psychologist with Wiser Humans in Lausanne. To shed some light on colourful, turbulent chaos that is our perception of reality. And to help us understand how our feelings can guide us in our career choices. And prevent us from getting stuck. Time to say goodbye to stuckness, baby. Let's go get it. Let's go get it, Tom. Ooh, ooh, we've got Heba in the virtual studio yet again. For anybody who's listened to episode number 24 of the podcast, um, yes, we did lose the audio, but we are here yet again back at it and it's going to be better than before. Nikki? <laughs> Absolutely. We just wanted to hear it all over again, Heba. Thank you so much for doing this and joining us again. Now, as usual, we did ask you last time, but we do always ask for elevator pitch of a big, tall building. So you can choose the building and we'd love to hear your elevator pitch about yourself. So off you go. So hi, both of you. And thank you again for having me here. Um, it's really my pleasure. Um, so I'm a psychologist and I work with uh, mostly with the English speaking community in Lausanne. And I started my career actually after having finished a master's in psychology working in the corporate world. And I worked for about eight years in communication agencies like Sachi and Sachi and um, and then I, I went into uh, coaching and I started um, discovering that there was these approaches that I thought were really helpful and really interesting. And I, I retrained mm-hmm. as a psychologist. Um, and so I've been doing this work now since uh, 2013, so about eight years. Um, so, yeah, I would say about half my career has been the corporate world and then half has been in, uh, in, in the therapy world. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have a practice in, in Lausanne with, uh, we set it up with three other English-speaking psychologists. It's called uh, Lausanne Therapy Space. And it's, yeah, it's really, it's really wonderful because I feel like I can work with people who are from this corporate world and, and kind of get what they're saying when they tell mm-hmm. me about their experience. 
I think this is a really, really interesting profile, especially for our listeners, as we're going to dive into some of the emotional drivers of the sense of uh, being stuck in your career. And you've got such a perfect uh, perspective on what it means to be in a corporate position and how to move um, past this. I also happen to know a lot of people that have been um, with you or around your practice, and they only have wonderful things to say. So really excited <laughs> to have you on the show. Um, for anybody out there listening, this is not news. If you've been here before, we have sneakily asked Hiba to withhold some of her most practical tips that you can use in your own life starting um, straight after listening to this podcast until the end of the show because we'd love to spend the full 45 minutes with you so please stay tuned i dare you not to zoom forward until the end because <laughs> everything in between is going to be marvelous as well but let's hop into the actual shebang this episode of hire is all about the strangely universal feeling of somehow being stuck in your career and before we unpack some of the root causes and present some ways to you out of this proverbial pickle um let's give the people a little eyewitness report um but you mentioned that you've spent years in the corporate world before becoming um, or re-engaging with your therapy work so how did this sense of this isn't right for me anymore sneak up on you and how did you orchestrate your exit from corporate so it, it happened quite slowly. It wasn't, you know, like a, one day I woke up and I realized that this wasn't working anymore. Um, I think it, it was more a sense of dissatisfaction and feeling like there must be something else out there that I could do and, and feeling like the work was interesting, but it didn't feel so aligned with my values anymore. Yeah. And, and so I, what I started with was a small step, which was reducing my time to 80%. Um, and mm-hmm. I was lucky enough to be able to do that. And and it's, it's so interesting for me because I feel like in life, whenever I've created space without necessarily knowing what I was going to do with that space, something showed up. And in that situation, it was coming across this coaching program, which really spoke to me. And, and that's kind of how I, I got back into this work. And then I, I discovered you know, one of the approaches that I use, which is acceptance and commitment therapy. And I thought, oh, I could actually retrain as a psychologist because up until then, it had never really registered as a possibility. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah. And then I ended up about a year and a half later quitting my job and really trying to do the coaching uh, full time and at the same time doing freelance work in communication. So, yeah, I would say quite slowly and and just following the in a way, the breadcrumbs of the next Mm -hmm. step and and the next step after that and and just staying um, open to them. I think we'll go in about, into that a bit later um, on, you know, the changing careers. But I love the way you, you say that you did it slowly. It doesn't happen overnight. Um, you took your time. You kept kind of your a bit of your nine to five there to kind of support you as well, right, in this change. So we'll go into that a bit later. But let's fish into a bit of your pool of experience from your work with your clients um, and also exchange with other experts in your field and try and get a grasp on this phenomenon of stuckness, which Tom has already spoken about. We hear this all the time in, in you know, career development, but please can you tell us a bit more? How does this manifest in conversations with your clients and how, they, how do they feel so stuck and what can they do about it? So it's something that um, I encounter a lot in my work with with clients. Um, this feeling of uh, just feeling like I, I don't know what to do. This isn't working for me, but I don't know what else to do. Or sometimes feeling like, you know, I don't have any options because I have to support my family or mm-hmm. even just because I'm so comfortable in this job. You know, it, pay, it pays well. Yeah. Um, a lot of people use the term, you know, golden cage, mm-hmm. which I'm sure, I'm sure you know. <laughs> and and I think that um, how it manifests quite often is sometimes unsurprisingly in, in, I mean, surprisingly in different ways, like physical symptoms, like sickness or burnout, 
for me, burnout is very much a symptom of something's not working, even if I think it's that I'm doing too much. It's it's often that the work's not very aligned and you know with values anymore, or that you're giving too much, and or that there's an imbalance of some sort. Um, and and sometimes it can it can show up in just feeling really understimulated. Um, and sometimes what's hard is is not using certain skills more than what we are doing. So we we know from research that it's um, feeling like we're not able to fully express our potential or our talents that is actually more frustrating for people than doing work that's not completely uh, like, yeah, than the type of work that they're doing. Mm -hmm. But I think it's a really, again, what what a wonderful concept. And I think anybody out there listening can relate to this. So long as you work within um, a job description in the hierarchy of a corporate office uh, or or any organization's office, um, there's always additional work that goes into actually finding these these spaces for yourself where you can fully sort of manifest the person that you want to be but we're going to hop into that a little bit later but um let's get a little bit cheeky shall we as we're very prone to do on the show because the internet and um, social media are flooded with these really well-intended pieces of advice that can actually feel completely unreachable and disheartening because we're presented with these um uh, unattainable lives that uh, people appear to be living and so one of the evergreens that we keep seeing is the word authenticity being your true self and living a life led only by maintaining authenticity and it's presented almost as something you have to prove to yourself and others all of the time um, and how do you think about um, this word and might there be a more productive term um, for it that we can use moving forward that feels a bit more um, attainable Yes, it's true that authenticity has become, you know, quite a buzzword. And I think it's a very important concept, you know, this idea of being true to yourself. Um, I think what's difficult about it is that we're not born knowing ourselves. Mm. And it's not something automatic or natural. It's not like suddenly we can just express who we are. Um, it's more that we need to get to know ourselves and to to start to experiment and explore different ways of being and, and find out what works for us. Um, and so authenticity for me is, is really about being real with yourself, being honest yeah. with yourself about, you know, what are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? Getting to know those, getting to know ourselves, what do we like? What turns us on? What, what do we not enjoy? Um, and I think it's, it's allowing ourselves to reveal ourselves slowly. Um, you know, we don't have to do it all at once, but more and more we can start to, you know, be more honest with ourselves first and then be more honest with people um, as a consequence of that. Yeah, I love this idea of being real with themselves. It's it's so much better, like more, I suppose, more attainable it feels than the mythical quest for authenticity, which seems very hard yes. um, <laughs> for everybody, you know, and, and we see it a lot, as you said, very, very rightly there. Authenticity seems to be everywhere. Be authentic, be that, you know, that person all the time. Um, but it takes a long time, right, to to be true to oneself um and to be real with oneself um everyone's unique um but you know we do yeah i mean we have we have to have the desire and and understand that it's going to take some time and we wanted to ask you if you had any some practical tips for our listeners to out there to kind of think about how to check in with themselves so they can be real with themselves well i would say to get curious about what is getting in the way of being more fully myself or being more expressing myself more in a more honest way um, Mm -hmm. or what's holding me back. And because what we know from um, 
you know, working with, uh, with people in therapy is that um, in childhood, there's often a sense of having to sacrifice our authenticity or who we are, what our needs are, what, what our desires are, our spontaneous nature um, in order to please a caregiver. And as children, it's not really a choice. We, we need our caregivers, our parents to, in order to survive. And so often we'll sacrifice, you know, our emotions or, you know, having needs in order to please a mother who, who doesn't seem to have a lot of capacity for our needs. And so we learn to suppress them and then we come into adulthood and we're still doing that, um, even though we don't necessarily need to anymore. But th that's just how the brain works. You know, we learn something because it's about survival and then it stays imprinted. And it's very hard to change that until we become aware of these patterns and, you know, why we learn to, in a way, hide our authentic self and how it was necessary um, for survival. So that's, that's what I would say, uh, most of all, is to start to get curious about what's getting in the way of, of showing up in this more authentic way or being with myself. Um, so what you say, um, because... So what we try not to do um, here on the show, it's very complicated, you know, because we talk about very abstract concepts that actually impact people's lives on the daily. Um, and what we're always trying to do is to get really down to the nitty gritty and the granular things. So with, you know, fearing becoming um, prophets of now talking about realness instead of authenticity, <laughs> um, do you have exercises that you work, uh, that you um, work with clients to um, expose this um, check-in moment and the sense of uh, being real with oneself. Every client is obviously unique, but are there sort of methods that you um, use, like visualization possibly? Can people say like a really cool trick that you can do with post-its just to see how you're doing today, journaling? Um, are there things that people can do if they don't have the luxury of working with you on a one-to-one -one basis? Um, well, I, I feel like working with the body is really important and starting to get curious about you know, our internal world, you know, what's happening inside of us. Um, mm -hmm. I think we can all feel like when something is uh, pleasurable, there's a sense of almost expansion in the body. We feel light, we feel energized. True. Um, it's almost like the body saying yes to that, right? <laughs> yeah. um, and, and the opposite is also true. When, when we're doing something, it doesn't feel right. It's, mm -hmm. it's constrictive. The body feels tight. It's like we're, even our shoulders are hunched. Like we're, we're kind of drawing into ourselves. Mm -hmm. And, and that's kind of more of a, a no. And, and I think that starting to know these kind of cues from the body and, and getting curious about, does this, does this feel good to me? Does it feel expansive? Does it give me energy? Um, that's the way to, I think, to get to know ourselves a bit better. Um, and even asking questions like, um, what do I want right now? Or what do I need right now? Or what am I feeling right now? They seem very simple, but, you know, how often do we actually do them? And how many of us grew up uh, being asked these questions? Um, so I think, you know, those very simple ways of, of working uh, with that can be really helpful. Um, and then anything that helps you feel more connected to yourself, like for some people, it can be, you know, being in nature or um, doing yoga or meditating or, or just sitting with themselves in, in some way. Um, I think there's there's no right or wrong way of doing it. It's it's really just about the intention. I think. Mm -hmm. I mean, they I can, think be, it's, can be like oh, scary, right? Sometimes. So <laughs> we'll get into that a bit later. Sorry, Tom. Go on. No, I just want to say because um, we have another wonderful um, sort of like buzzy thing that we see on social media all the time that can actually be quite dangerous. And uh, Nikki is going to tell you um, more about that and take you into the questions surrounding this. I just wanted to um, 
recite a really, really good trick as well that a friend of mine um, taught me recently. And it's such a strange thing because oftentimes we keep ourselves so occupied and so busy by being on our phone, our phone nonstop, having calls, meetings, running around, running errands. We never really stop to just pause and let things come out that needs to come uh, that need to come out within our bodies and without our spirits. So the really cool exercise that I was taught recently is to just sit down and do nothing um, for 60 seconds. No chewing gum, no water, um, no phone, no music, no nothing. Just sit for a good 60 seconds and stare into the distance and see what happens. Um, and it's shockingly and surprisingly really, really difficult because you have nothing to distract you from you and you start to discover um really interesting things like Hiba mentioned you know how does my body actually feel am i do i have some am i anxious about something am i excited about something and i think weaving these moments into our days a bit more frequently is a really powerful and easy thing that we should all start doing more of to um not lose track of where we're going and then eventually get stuck in our lives and our jobs sorry nikki please proceed absolutely no you're right it's so easy to get into that um you know that wheel of doing everything getting up going to work all of that stuff so taking those moments is really important and the last bit um of yeah myth busting I guess what we're calling it is is about toxic positivity (laughs) not so easy to say um (laughs) it's another one of Instagram and this is a Tom word glamalicious things that haunt (laughs) us all the time (laughs) that Tom writes my script sometimes so yeah (laughs) that came in but anyway the idea of having to be the best version of ourselves all the time, always be happy, portray happiness nonstop, or be made feel like, you know, you don't have it together, um, or you're sad, or you're not, you know, worthy of things. So let's talk a little bit about that. And um, we'd love to hear your take on this toxic positivity culture. Um, and it could be quite dangerous. So let's, yeah, we'd love to hear your thoughts on this, Hiba. Well, I, I definitely think it's dangerous. And dangerous because it's it's just not it's just not in our nature to only feel one emotion you know wh- whatever emotion that is at the moment it's yeah happiness or even uh mania or joy you know these really extreme forms of happiness and and it's so much pressure to be expected to feel that all the time because we're not designed that way as humans you know we are designed to feel the full range of human emotions and they're all necessary um I like to talk about, you know, that we have our internal village of, of emotions and thoughts and, and needs, and that internal village tells us who we are, and it, it makes up um, all of our emotions. And each emotion for me is like a villager that has a job description in this village. Um, and for example, anger, which, you know, gets a pretty bad uh, reputation, especially in the more kind of spiritual communities and uh, people who who you know work on themselves think that they should be beyond anger, but actually anger is what gives us a healthy sense of confidence and boundaries mm-hmm. and assertiveness, and it allows you to it gives you the information that someone is doing something that's not okay. Mm-hmm. And I see the anger villager is like the the boundary police that's telling you, hey, someone's crossed your boundary. You need to repair it. You need to do something and stand up for yourself or or say mm-hmm. something to this person. Um, and so for me, all emotions have a place and. And we know that um, there's even a concept, it's pretty cool, it's called emo-diversity. You know, it's a bit like eco-diversity, that we need this full diversity of emotions. And we know that it's been linked to greater psychological well-being when people can feel the full range of emotions and not just get stuck on trying to be happy. We can never, I think, fully succeed in that. 
No, because eventually it starts to feel like a bit of a forced effort. In my experience, anyways, you can not choose because, again, who we are and who we become by and large also depends on um, conditioning and childhood. But either you feel all of it and it's messy and it's wild and it's exciting or you somehow become gray and numb um, if you try to cut one of the villages out because then the village is no longer intact and it doesn't function and also by the way because i've heard this story a couple of times now already <laughs> i can't i don't know if any nintendo players are out there in the audience but this very much feels like animal crossing to me um but it'll like like teddy bear figures are running around and um, oh. mickey what was the movie that you mentioned the other um, the other time that we spoke Oops, uh, inside out inside out very, very <laughs> yeah but he yes. came up with this way before that movie we know True. that <laughs> do you have royalty rights I, i'm not actually sure I, I don't know what came first but the movie's great and i would highly recommend it <laughs> no but every time i hear this story now i just see little people running around actually i see them running around your your brain tom <laughs> all the time all your I little mean, <laughs> there, there are many voices many voices that are speaking to me on a daily basis <laughs> But let's mm-hmm. talk in particular about um, one of them that I think is the culprit of a lot of uh, this mm-hmm. stuckness sensation, especially when it comes to work, when we need to behave and uh, move around in environments that have um, rules outside of the ones that we can determine within our friend group, aka organizations, corporate offices, and so, and so on and so further. So let's get into fear and the fear of feeling uh, the fear of actually feeling any fear um but let's go um bit by bit and start with actually the evolutionary impulse that um that it really is and that used to serve a purpose but hiba why do we feel fear from that standpoint i think this goes back to what, what i was saying before about how we are designed to survive as humans and from an evolutionary perspective we're not really designed to feel good about ourselves because that wouldn't have kept us safe, um, you know, back when we were cavemen and women living in the savanna. <laughs> However, if we had this really paranoid, very anxious mind that when we saw movement in the bush, we immediately thought, oh, my God, it's a lion. And we ran away. Uh, we would have avoided being that lion's dinner um, and, and maybe have missed dinner. But that's a small price to pay for staying alive. Yeah. Um, and this is how uh, evolutionary psychology sees uh, fear, that it's, it's necessary for survival and that it's how the brain uh, was designed to to evolve and we've actually not evolved that much um in that perspective in that respect like we still have the the old older part of the brain which is very emotional and very much about you know that the fight flight freeze flop fawn you know there's all these f's that are (laughs) most people know you know fight or flight and freeze but there's you know there's several and these are all defensive reactions that are just about survival Mm-hmm. And and so fear is one of them, and it's uh, usually fear makes us either run away or fight um, or freeze, actually. And um, yeah, and I think that the way that we now deal with fear is that we uh, we we use the the part of our brain that's very good at projecting into the future, and it becomes more anxiety. So it becomes more less in the moment. There's a lion in the bush. I have to run away, and more about future tripping and thinking oh my god what what's going to happen what if mm-hmm. and and then we kind of get lost in these uh, in these worries and anxieties which can often paralyze us so basically sorry everybody but fear is programmed into us <laughs> so yes. you know it doesn't always serve us that well in our careers but shouldn't we start thinking differently about it because if we know it's there we can do something about it right and something we can maybe expect and get over or conquer um is there such thing as developing resilience to fear and 
what does your experience say about this? What can you tell us about trying to build a resilience? Well, the, the approach that I, uh, one of my trainings in acceptance and commitment therapy is about, you know, accepting the emotions that are there and realizing that we can't actually change them. We can't stop ourselves from feeling fear and we can't stop our thoughts either. You know, they're, they're very automatic. Even people who meditate, you know, they're very good at observing their thoughts, but they can't stop them. Um, and so recognizing that, you know, these thoughts and these feelings and even the body sensations, they're going to show up. I can't control that. But what I can commit to and take action on is how I respond to them. And so if, if I can feel the fear and recognize that maybe I'm actually afraid of doing this because it's so important to me and it's related to how I want to live and, and it's something that, that's out of my comfort zone and it's unknown. And the unknown is by definition scary, you know, because mm. we, can't, we don't know what's going to happen. We can't control it. And so if we can recognize that maybe this is a good sign that I'm on, onto something, that, you know, there's something about this that matters to me and, um, and that I'm doing things that are important to me. I think that's a much more, uh, well, realistic, actually, way mm -hmm. of dealing with fear rather than expecting it to go away. And then I can take action because that's probably never going to happen. I feel Isn't like the prophet of doom, right? <laughs> it's know. never going away. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. You're just going to be fearful forever. Um, but just, I'm liking this idea very much to use fear not only as something to walk, run away from, but maybe as something to run towards too. Because as with any of our emotions, we are always taught that, you know, something that gives you joy, that makes you joyful um, or, you know, manically joyful is something we should be running towards to um, because we want more of that as dopamine. But if we think about your, if you think about your career development and if you think about what opportunity should I take next, entertain the notion that maybe the one that is the most worth pursuing is also the one that you feel the most fear um, towards because the, the perceived risk is higher because you actually really want it. And um, it's also... I think a big contributor to why we procrastinate. It's um, one of my favorite analogies. We will procrastinate if you need to deliver something on a Friday and you wait until Thursday <laughs> evening to start working on it and then you give it on a Friday, um, the presentation. It doesn't turn out quite so well. You can say, well, it wasn't really me. I just didn't invest enough time. I didn't have enough time to do it, right? So this is how fear can be an interesting um, blocker to us. But um, Heba, when we chatted um, ahead of recording this, you mentioned a really wonderful quote um, by Stephen Haggis about moments of joy and moments of pain. Um, do you mind repeating that quote and unpacking it for us a little bit with respect to um, how we should start thinking about fear? Yes, it's actually one of my favorite quotes. And uh, so Stephen Hayes, who's one of the founders of acceptance and commitment therapy, he says that there's as much vitality in a moment of pain as a moment of joy. Mm. And and for me, this, this was really... Um, It shifted my perspective on emotions completely when I when I came across this approach because it's not so much about feeling happy all the time or feeling good even all the time or avoiding fear or avoiding stressful moments. It's realizing that even in those moments of of stress or fear or or pain, you know, we lose someone we love or something happens that's devastating, there's still so much aliveness to it. And there's still so much vitality in it. And And if we can focus on feeling alive and vitality instead of being happy all the time or avoiding mm -hmm. stress, um, I think that's a much better way to live because anything worth doing, anything that's meaningful for us is going to be stressful. It is going mm -hmm. to be scary and we can't avoid that, but we can, we can change the way that we approach it. 
Yeah, absolutely. You can see that a lot. I was just thinking while you're while you're talking about being an athlete and my former career and things like many people didn't continue because of the fear of losing or the fear of losing other things because they were being an athlete or or the fear of success as well can happen mm-hmm. right as well. Um, but a lot of the time it's like the fear of trying and not working out. So that's something as well that we can speak about maybe later on. And that's part of stuckness, right? Because maybe people are afraid of of trying something in case it fails. Um, and I had the same, and Tom, you just brought it back to me as well. Like moving into the corporate world from where I was before was, was pretty scary. And a lot of people are like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, well, it's <laughs> scary, but it's fun then because I'm actually pushing myself. Right. And that's, yes. that's what happened. And it, it's working out pretty well for now, but, um, you never know, but I think it's, it's something you just have to kind of jump into, right. Even if it is scary. So that was just a side note. While you were both talking, I was thinking of those things. (laughs) But my part in this is making these concepts relatable to our audience is always a little bit tricky, but also rewarding bit of these episodes. But before we get into actually how we break them down and, and how we get through this sense of stuckness, let's spend a few minutes more on some examples. So, Hiba, from your experience, um, what are some of the most common reasons that people have this sense of fear? for themselves and how do you help them to get through it? Well, like I was saying before, I think the fear is so is is really normal. You know, if you're not feeling fear, are you are you actually alive? Um and I think what you said before about fearing our own greatness, you know, fearing what if I am visible, what if I do uh you know do the things that matter to me, um, what will happen then? It's it it does feel like more of a risk than staying in a comfort zone where maybe you're not as visible, where you're not really trying. It, it feels like less uh, risk of failure or rest, less risk of being seen, which for a lot of people is really scary. And, and often it makes sense because sometimes when they were seen, they were punished or you know they were mm-hmm. told that they were too much uh, as a child. Um, and I think the, the other big reason that I see is, is people don't think they can handle difficulty. And, mm. and this maybe is especially true for uh, people who are in a job that's really comfortable and uh, and they're like, well, do I really want to get out of this comfort zone? I should just be happy here because I can you know, live my life outside of work. Um, and I, I feel like from my experience working with people that it, people try really hard to convince themselves of this, but it doesn't often work. Um, that there is a sense of needing a bit more challenge or needing something that feels more meaningful. Um, and it actually makes me think of my cat. Um, <laughs> I have to bring him in. He's a kitten. He's, he's, he's not even four months old. And um, oh. yeah, and, and he, I've noticed something in how he plays is that he will um, intentionally create challenges for himself. Like he will uh, throw something under the sofa or under, a, under you know, the, he'll create obstacles for himself when he's playing alone. And, and it made me realize that this is how he builds his skills as a future predator and hunter. And, and that's maybe what actually makes him feel safer in the world is to be able to uh, challenge himself in this way. And, and I think that often we don't think we can face challenges or that we can face difficulties. But I think that there's a big part of us that needs it and, and that, will, that will help us feel more alive and also to feel more confident in the long run. That's something just came to my mind there as well, though, with the like you know, in the wild and normally have their mother or whatever teaching them things, but he doesn't have that. Right. So it's a bit like us as well. Like we need to remember that we need to 
help ourselves sometimes learn yes. ourselves because we can't wait for someone else to, to show us all the time and um, it just made me think of that now because cats usually have their their family around showing them things um so we need to remember that ourselves that we have to carve our path and our career ourselves too absolutely which is which is also a great bridge into um, the last and final segment of uh, this particular episode, which we have stylishly entitled "Bye Bye Stuckness." <laughs> but uh, just before we go into it, I actually had a, um, a conversation with one of my clients today, and she talks quite a bit about the competence versus confidence paradox and how strangely people with a lot of um, perceived confidence appear to be climbing the ladder much faster, although they're useless. And people that have <laughs> um, great competence but less confidence um, seem to get stuck. Actually and have a harder time to self-promote and um, get places. But she had this really insightful um, thing to say. And she said, if you are the person that is doubtful of yourself, you're the um, head of a task or head of a challenge that introspects it or that says, oh, is this the right thing? Is this good enough or not? This actually makes you the most competent person for the job because you will question um the results mm. that you're bringing, you will question your approach over and over. You obsess about it and so pr therefore produce um, superior results. So again, it's very paradoxical how we think about self-doubt and fear, but um, oftentimes it actually shows us, A, this is worth it, and mm -hmm. B, we actually start doing really good work because we need to prove to ourselves in a way as well. Um, but let's say bye-bye to stuckness because some <laughs> of us want to be um, stuck anywhere. Um, but let's go into the basics. So at times, um, we know we feel stuck and we're not happy, but we are all too often told that a bold move is required, right? To change that, to leave it all behind and risk it all and start fresh and become an entrepreneur and leave the job and like run into the unknown, um, which is, again, a bit scary, right? But uh, you gave me a wonderful word recently, Hiba, and it's the idea of pockets of freedom. Yes. Um, where you are without having to leave that place and uh, take that big risk. So what did you mean um, by pockets of freedom? And how could this idea help someone um, unstuck themselves without having to go through this, um, you know, what can be a really traumatic life event and move out of a job, for example? Well, I like this idea of pockets of freedom because it's not all or nothing. And I feel like in our society, we're very much about the all or nothing <laughs> and the, being in the extremes. And the Pockets of Freedom is about landing in the reality of I want more or being honest with ourselves about this isn't working for me anymore, but I'm not ready to make a big move. Mm -hmm. um, and so if something that we're craving is more independence or more freedom, uh, which was what I was craving, then you know maybe there's other ways of, of making that happen with these Pockets of Freedom. Um, for example, for me, it was you know, reducing my working hours to 80%. Um, for other people, it could be, you know, finding this a whole other activity outside of work that gives them that sense of freedom and excitement or, you know, maybe training to be a mountain guide or, you know, whatever it is that they're, they're passionate about. It doesn't have to be a job that you're paid for. It can be something that exists in your life. Um, and so there's, I think, different ways that we can bring these, this idea of pockets of freedom um, by I think first starting by being honest with ourselves about what is it that we actually are looking for when we say we're not happy and what are we not happy about? What do we want instead? Um, and then I think the, the sky's the limit because you can be super creative, right? Mm, absolutely. I mean, I have this super long question, but I'm going to cut it right down because I think you've said quite a bit of it. And I think the main part is really 
um, checking in with ourselves, which you spoke about earlier, but a lot of people just check in when they need it or they feel like, oh, I'm in, I'm stuck or some people don't even realize they're stuck and then they don't even check in themselves. But I just wanted to ask you a bit more about how often we should check in with ourselves and, and make sure that we're, we're happy and we're, we're content and we're moving on with what we want to be to have that ultimate happiness. So what else, like, can you, is there any practices as well that we can do? We can tell our audiences to help us to do that and how often we should do it as well. Um, well, I feel like there is no should, you know, there's no, there's no rule book about how often or, or even whether we should do it. I feel like it's, it's thing we can do. And if we want to live a life that's more meaningful for us, um, we have to be constantly listening to ourselves. Um, and so I think there's, there's no right moment to do it. Um, mm-hmm. For some people, it can be helpful to do it, um, you know, with someone like a coach or a therapist or even a friend. Um, it can be times of the year, like on your birthday, New Year's, around New Year's, you can do like a, a check-in, a more formal check-in. Um, and I, I think that any time is, is actually good. And, and having the, a practice where you are in tune with yourself and you ask yourself questions like, you know, what's going on for me? What am I feeling? What do I want? What do I need? You know, those kind of questions um, can, be, can be really helpful or having a partner that you can do that with, a friend mm-hmm. or, or someone else, um, or even doing it. A lot of people like journaling, um, you know, doing it in writing and, and maybe asking those questions as a, as a theme and then journaling about it and seeing what comes up. Oh, I think this is a really cool um, idea to also to schedule this for yourself, whether they, mm-hmm. you believe in the mythical power of the, a new year arising, although for me, it's just like another day happens. But there is mm-hmm. like an interesting, just because we grew up with the sense of the new year, um, mm-hmm. it is an interesting break. And even without making New Year's resolutions, um, a lot of people do have that sense of, okay, now this is like a new place for opportunity and um, to discover new things, try something new. And I think it's mm-hmm. up to us to decide how often we want to have this reality check at the end of every month. Um, within the lunar cycle um, this you know really anyway but for me this is really a message that I want to give to everybody I know more than enough people that are in say their mid-50s incredibly successful in corporate making all the money they've climbed the ladder they have all this adulation on on paper um, on as um, related to what we are taught success looks like they've made it they've done it but then they suddenly wake up and they're saying oh actually my passion all along and what have what would have made me really happy in life would be to be um a beekeeper and to make organic honey but because they never checked in and they only went with these external success markers um they never paused to actually think about it and now it's quite hard to catch up with all of this time again so um do it regularly people i mean it will pay off in the long run for sure absolutely there's another thing that i um a tip that i got when i was a couple of years ago i was doing a course and um it was really cool we had this coach come in and she had this paper and she gave us this small little piece of paper and she asked us to write our thoughts on it something that we can then not throw away because what happens is this paper disintegrates in water so you put your thoughts on there or what's happening or you're checking in on yourself and then it, it disintegrates in the water so literally you're you're letting your thoughts out and because sometimes having a diary is quite scary too because you can look back at it right and you can see what what you've said and all of those things it's nice to be able to like write on this piece of paper and it actually then disappears um so that's a nice little one in case you've never heard of that um for a final flourish that we feel captures elements of everything we've talked about today 
self-expectations. <laughs> one of the, <laughs> the kind <worst>. that, <laughs> yeah, one of the kind that we actually would never say to other people, <laughs> but yeah. somehow we impose it on ourselves all the time. Um, it's another agent of stuckness right there. Does that resonate with you and your practice? And are there ways not to do that and try and be a bit kinder to ourselves? <laughs> oh, it definitely resonates. Um, I think this is part of our experience as humans is to be often much nicer to other people than we are to ourselves. Um, and I think that we would never actually talk to someone else the way that we talk to ourselves in our internal dialogue that we might not even be fully aware of. Um, and again, from an evolutionary perspective, this makes sense because um, the, you know, the inner critic evolved as a way of keeping us in line with the, you know, with the tribe, with the, the social group. Um, so if I criticize myself, I have less chance of being kicked out of the tribe because I can keep myself in check. But if I'm kind to other people and I have, you know, what's called pro-social behaviors like empathy and compassion to others, that allows me also to stay part of this group. And staying part of the group was for us as, you know, ancient humans, the only way of surviving alone in, in nature. Um, and so I think just being aware of that, you know, that it makes sense that we have these much higher expectations of ourselves, much more critical of ourselves. And also that it's something we can work with and it doesn't have to stay that way. You know, we can, we can work with it in, in, for example, asking ourselves, what would I say to a friend? And, and trying to take that advice instead of the advice that were the expectations that we're putting on ourselves. Um, you know, this is actually one of the, the tools in self-compassion that, that works very well. Um, it's to try to see ourselves as, a, as someone external to us, because then we're actually kinder to ourselves than than when we're kind of caught up in our heads and in our thoughts. Um, and, and often, you know, we're so aware of, um, I did something wrong and what are people going to think? And we ruminate. But if you think about it, when was the last time you remembered someone else doing the same kind of thing wrong? You know, you probably didn't even register it because we're just so much more aware of ourselves than we are of others. No, yeah. Um, yeah. So I think it's also realizing that and just realizing this is in a way a bias that we have as humans. Oh, I'm loving this so much. Look, everybody, if any of you out there listening are in Lausanne and this is a conversation that could be beneficial to you to have in person, and we're going to leave uh, the link to Hiba's practice and uh, the collective that she's a part of and that she's formed um, in the show notes. Um, so in your podcast player, just uh, look at the blurb that is underneath this episode and um, it'll take you just straight through a page. Uh, my mind is blown yet again, although we had the conversation <laughs> for the second time. Um, so thank you. But Nikki. And Hiba, actually, take us over the finish line. Yes, absolutely. It's been amazing. Thank you again. But as promised, you're not finished quite yet. <laughs> You've got the top tips that, you know, our listeners can go away with straight away and do and try and help them on be unstuck. Even if they don't feel like they're stuck, uh, we can still, you know, look work on ourselves. So off you go. The top three things we can do straight away. Well, I would say the first thing is, you know, what you guys talked about with toxic positivity. Mm -hmm. um, so not holding ourselves to that standard anymore and recognizing that we have all these emotions and that they all have a place in our village. Mm. Um, I like to say that, you know, all emotions are welcome. They all have a role. They're all like signals giving us information about something. And, and I would really say that um, learning to embrace that instead of fighting our emotions or, or stopping ourselves from feeling sad or angry and instead getting curious about it and, and, and listening to what the message is. 
um, it's something that I found people are more intuitively able to do than they than they realize. Because most of the time we didn't grow up in families that you know taught us how to listen to our emotions or how to interpret them or express them. But I think in, it's innate in us to really be able to listen to that, this, this language of emotions, um, when we start to have that intention. Um, so that would be the first thing that I would say. Um, Such a banger. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the second thing I would say is, is kind of linked to that, which is recognizing that we have different parts of us. And that's often why we feel stuck, you know, that there's a part of us that wants security and safety um, and doesn't want to leave the job that we're in. And then there's this other part of us that wants freedom and uh, independence and excitement. Um, and it can feel very contradictory. Um, and so I think the second point is really to recognize that we are all made of parts. You know, we all have different parts of us. And, and it's, it's the more we can recognize the different parts of us and, and be okay with it. Uh, you know, being okay with saying a part of me wants security and another part wants freedom. It's, it's a much more realistic place to be than trying to uh, kind of suppress one and just going from one extreme to the other. Mm -hmm. um, and that actually brings me to my third point, which is also quite similar, which is around uh, both and. So instead of being in the either or, um, either I'm safe and secure in this job or I'm free and independent and doing mm -hmm. what I want, um, to recognize that both and uh, are important. I want both this and that, or I need both this and that. Mm. And, and I feel like they're all quite similar, but for me, this is where, uh, you know, this idea of authenticity really comes in is recognizing that I'm not this one aligned being who's always happy and cheerful and positive and just brings this amazing energy to a group. Mm -hmm. I'm actually this very diverse person who's made up of multitudes and has all these different villagers in, in, in their village and that they can feel contradictory and can be in conflict with each other. And the more I can learn to listen to them and to be in dialogue with each of these parts um, and to, to accept that both are important, um, the more I think that we can be in harmony with ourselves, be honest with ourselves and, and come up, show up, I think, in a more authentic way in the world as well. Oh, this is balm for my soul. Heba, thank you so much for being here and thank you so much for your many wisdom. Oh, thank you. Thank you both. <laughs>